BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I am so excited to bring you today's episode, you guys, because it is such an honest and vulnerable and awesome conversation with none other than Indy Blue. Now, if you're not familiar with Indy, she is really an OG content creator, blogger. She's the co-founder of Lonely Ghost, which is this very cult favorite sweatshirt and just like general, like very cool clothing brand. She is also the internet's cool girl. And let me tell you, after speaking to her today, I can attest to the fact that she is 100% deserving of this reputation that she has. So we go all over the map when it comes to this conversation. We talk about her journey as a creator, blogger, the fact that she's a young mom, her wedding, which is something you guys were really thirsty to know the details of. We talk about all of that, but I would say that my personal favorite part of the conversation was when we chatted about her type one diabetes diagnosis. So Indy shared this on her blog, and it was actually an article that was passed on to me by one of my team members, Alexa. And in that blog post, she detailed how she got a type one diabetes diagnosis while she was pregnant with her baby, and it almost cost her her life. And the conversation we have is very vulnerable, very honest and raw. And I really appreciate Indy coming on and sharing all about her whole experience, because I think that this is a very important conversation to have. I don't think people truly grasp and just even understand how life altering a diagnosis can be when, especially when you're older and you get it in your adult life. So we get into all of that. And it's just a very, very like real conversation, which I think you guys will like. Before we get into today's interview, though, I want to bring you this week's review, which comes to us from Shiva T. And they say, Sif is easy to listen to. She's a great host, and I love her episode with Shervin. Shiva, this is a really nice review. Thank you so much for being specific. Guys, if you feel like the podcast brings you value, I would so appreciate if you took the time to review and rate the show. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to the portion where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I have deserved it, then please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, let me know anything you want me to hear. Any feedback you give me is incredibly helpful and helps me to continue to show up as a host that brings you as much value as I possibly can. All right. With that, let's welcome Indie Blue to the Dream Bigger podcast. You have built a cult following. And I like said this as soon as you walked in, I was like, you Utah girlies. okay? you and Courtney grow specifically. It's like I've never seen anything like it. 
how? Like, talk to me about how you built your audience when you even started. Like, tell me your whole life story. Yeah, the the Utah girls, like, they're a whole another breed. And I have my theories. Like, I, I don't actually know what it is. Mm-hmm. But I always say that the influencer was kind of born in Utah. There's this, like, idea that it was this MySpace page six New York it girl that really was, like, the spawn of all of this. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it came from the Courtney Grows, the Amber Fillerups, the Rach Parcells, these mommy yes. bloggers. Wait, are those two like Rach Parcell and oh, all Utah, all, right? Shut up. You would be shocked the amount of people you follow that are from Utah or were from Utah, grew up in Utah or has family in Utah. Like it's so connected. What is it? Are you guys all just creative or is it just the audience there? I I think it's both. Uh-huh. There's definitely something about the audience, but there's also something I think about the Mormon culture because I remember when, you know, early 2000s, I was a child, but there was a lot of, there was like a push for women to journal, right? Journal and scrapbook. I remember there was always these big scrapbooking parties And when the internet came around, that was a thing that the leaders of the church kind of pushed out was like for these women to almost use these blogs as a way to document and keep because journaling is so big in the church. And in my opinion, I kind of feel like that is where it started because these girls started these blogs to document their life. And what it turned into is just people being like, where did you get those jeans? And from there, that's, you know, you have an influencer who is able to push product and convert sales because they've built this trust with their followers where they're like, okay, like, where did she get that? I trust her because I've watched her life. I think the Utah girls have done such a good job of that, of just becoming tastemakers and building this trust with their audiences. Because if if you think about it, that's what it an influencer really is totally you know we've kind of gotten so far away where everyone's an influencer but the really good ones like Courtney for example we could talk about her all day like I that's how I found a Ray because she's like everyone needs this and this isn't just on her post right this is like in friend in conversation it's like everyone needs to try this and I trust her so much that I'm like give it to me like yeah I'll take it and so I think that To be a good influencer, you need to like kind of develop that trust. And I think for me, I got there by just kind of sharing everything Mm -hmm. and just giving it all. So was it right from the beginning? Because, you know, like, were you ever scared of being so transparent, especially because there is a little bit of a juxtaposition, right? Because, yes, Utah girls and I I would say like you were like a trailblazer in Mm -hmm. the mix. Right. But like you're such good tastemakers and you're such. I mean, trailblazing influencers. And yet at the same time, like there's a big Mormon culture, which is like a little bit more conservative. So how do you toe the line between what to share? Were you ever nervous sharing as much as you did? Like what what was your whole vibe, I guess? Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, first of all, to answer your question, no, I was never scared. I think it's who I am. Mm -hmm. I think I'm just an open book. I'm very vulnerable. I've always just felt the need to share. I think because I felt quite misunderstood my whole life that there's been this need to share what I'm thinking so I can get validation that I'm not alone, that I can get validation that I'm not crazy. And so that's always something that's come so naturally to me. And over the years, people will make comments like, how do you say stuff like that? How do you how do you open up about this stuff? Like, are you not scared? Or does this not make you embarrassed? And and I've, over time, it made me a little insecure. Like, I should be embarrassed of that. Or I should be more nervous or wary of sharing everything. And I definitely have learned over the years, like, what to keep private and what to share. But I've also come to terms that that's part of my magic. And I def- I definitely think that There are just some people in the world that share easily and and are able to open up more. And then there's people who aren't. And that doesn't mean one is good or bad. It just means like we need both. Mm -hmm. And I think if we didn't have people like me, we would be so lonely. 
in the world. And I think that's kind of what's so fun about my brand being all about loneliness is that it really like the connection that makes us feel seen, that makes us feel understood, like that comes from people who are brave enough to share what they really feel. And so I think I've just come to a really good place of acceptance that that's who I am. It's nothing to be ashamed about. We need people like this in the world. And I just kind of try to lean into it now. Well, I mean, it's I think for a long time, what we saw on the Internet was like very glossy and Mm -hmm. kind of like perfect and manicured and curated. And I think what sets apart influencers who've kind of stood the test of time is the fact that they do share a real part of themselves. Of course, it's like you toe the line between like what you want to keep private and what you don't. But at the mm-hmm. same time, there's like cer- a certain degree of vulnerability where your audience feels like you're a real human and not just like yeah. another hot girl. Yeah. And I think that's truly the answer to all of my success is that people see themselves in me because I really do lay it out on the line. And what's fascinating to me just through being in this position is just, you know, realizing how not alone any of us are we we all feel the same stuff we all are going through this and just being able to, I think my gifting is verbalizing that and articulating it in a way that other people might not be able to I think that's one of the main comments I get when I write is wow I've, I've always felt like this but uh, you just put it into words so I think that's kind of my gifting is I just put things into words that we all feel And people feel like they know me because of that. When did you notice to that you started you were like getting real traction and you could kind of do this as a career as and be a creator? And then obviously from there, it evolved into Lonely Ghost, which I want to get into. But like, when did you even notice that like shit, people are actually they care about what I'm saying on the Internet? That's so interesting because I really have been around forever Mm -hmm. and I say that the Utah, Utah is the birthplace of the influencer, and I really was in the first round. Like, I had a blog when I was in elementary school, and all the other bloggers were in high school, in college. How old were you? I was 11. And what? Oh, yeah. I was, I've been at this forever. And no one read my blog, but I was, I was so ahead of my time. Like, I just, I, and not even like I knew it was going to be anything, but just that writing was my passion and having a blog was so fun for me. And then it just kind of naturally progressed to the people that had these blogs with these loyal followings. They just naturally were the ones to make it on Instagram when it first came because they kind of already had a following. Mm -hmm. And so I think I got lucky in that sense where I was at the right, right place in the right time. It's not just luck, though, you I know? know, like and, it's also yeah. like you've been very smart as yeah. well, like whether it's on purpose or like from like a strategy perspective or not. But yeah. you're very good at what you do. It wasn't just right place, right time. Yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely so much that goes into it. I and I, I'll say that probably the smartest thing I did was, you know, I realized early on that these people had a connection to me. They really liked me. They were rooting for me. What I realized that changed everything was taking the, how do I say this, kind of taking the spotlight away from me and putting it back onto them Mm -hmm. and being like, I can't be friends with every single one of you. Mm -hmm. I would love to sit and DM every single one of you. I pride myself in connecting with my followers, but realistically, I can't connect with 400,000 people on an intimate level, but you guys can in this comment section because you, and so I kind of feel like I... I'm the facilitator. I'm this common thread. But I quickly realized it wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. And if I could just get these people to see that they had more in common with each other and maybe it took something random like they both liked my videos. But then it was like, I'm actually connecting other people. Mm -hmm. And that was that's where I really secured some sort of longevity even early on. And I just I could see that. I needed to I needed something that was going to stand outside of Instagram. And these days, everyone, you know, every influencer has this brand. But back when I did it, it was not like that at all. I thought I thought I was seeing the future and I totally was. But I thought, okay, 
I don't know what's going to happen with Instagram. I have all these people that like me and follow me and support me. What happens when this goes? Like, what happens? And that's just a lot of pressure, you mm -hmm. know, on yourself. Totally. I wanted something that would stand completely outside of it. And that's kind of how Lonely Ghost started. And it's been nice over the years to kind of take more of a step back. Like, as the brand gets bigger and bigger, it's less about me, which, like I said, was the smartest thing I could have done. And it's getting to a point where, I mean, even yesterday at the airport, there was a girl on my flight in one of the hoodies. And I tapped her and just said, I love your hoodie. And you could tell she had no idea who I was. It's so interesting that you say this because when I first learned about your brand, I didn't know that it was you behind it. Yeah. And honestly, to a founder, I think that's the biggest oh, compliment. It's the biggest compliment. Right? Yeah. So when you said that you didn't know that Array yes. was mine, I was like, thank you. Totally. Like, it yeah. means I've created something that stands on its two, own two feet, yeah. which is like, it's bigger than you. Yeah, it's and so exciting. It's so exciting because then it means that like, you don't need to be in front of the camera mm -hmm. all the time. You don't need to be like pushing it all the time. It's kind of going on its own, yeah. which is really special. Yeah, that that was my goal. And I'm like, I'm, I'm almost there. So <laughs> it's getting there. When did you start Lonely Ghost? So we launched March 2019. Wow. Yeah, so it's been four years. And tell me about like the concept behind it and what do you think it was that really made it take off? I, again... It's so hard to even comprehend that there wasn't a lot of influencer brands back then. Mm -hmm. What was happening in the space was YouTube was huge. Vloggers were huge. And I remember specifically Jake Paul and Logan Paul were probably some of the first people to launch merch and like have this kind of conversation around merch and making all this money. And there was just these whisperings that they were making so much money from this merch and I just thought this is so ugly like I cannot <laughs> believe anyone is buying this and wearing it and it just seemed so crazy to me that they wouldn't just hire a better designer and make something cool that other people could wear and that that was such a brilliant idea to me is like why not just make cool clothes that they sell but that can like again stand outside because I don't know, I, I don't know who, how a Jake Paul, Logan Paul, Maverick t-shirt is going to stand the test of time. Or I don't know. I, that was kind of what sparked this idea was like, I don't want to sell a shirt that says Indie Blue on it, but I'll make you a cool shirt under my brand. And then eventually you guys can forget I had anything to do with this, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier of like taking a step behind the, behind the scenes. And no one was doing that, you know, and I don't really even know a lot of people that have done that since, you know, completely removed themselves in the face to just make it like its own brand that can stand alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so I love telling that story just because it was such a funny thing. Like to me, it was so simple, like just hire a better designer and actually because, you know, they're making all this money, they're selling it. But it was just lazy work. It mm -hmm. wasn't creative. And I was just I just saw like such an opportunity with that. Because merch was like up and coming. The thing that I love about you guys is like your like quick witty like one liners. Is that and it feels very you when someone follows you. However, even if they don't and they look at Lonely Ghost as a brand independently, which is what I did, because back then, like I wasn't plugged into your content or anything like that but I was like wow like what was it like call me when you get or text me when text you get home, you get home yeah. yeah I was like this is so cool you know and I just kept seeing like these like quick quips that you were doing on your sweatshirts like was it an extension of you or like what what was the thought behind it yeah totally and and I love that aspect of my brand because I guess I feel like when influencers start brands or your brand for example it's so connected to your journey, your health journey and what you went through and you like solved a problem essentially. Or, you know, when people are really into makeup and they do makeup brands, I wanted it to be me. Mm -hmm. um, and it was hard in the sense of like, how do I make this me without one saying indie blue on it yeah. or being that on the nose? And I found that just through my writing. And for years, people just loved my Instagram captions. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of this joke between my friends and my followers, like, put that on a T-shirt. That was something I'd always say, like, oh, we need to put that on a T-shirt. I love that. Just because, yeah, I, 
I just, back to what I was saying, my gifting is words. And text me when you get home. It's not like that's genius or profound. It's very simple. It's very relatable, but that's why it works. And I think that's such a testament to why Lonely Ghost works in general is because everyone can relate to it, right? Grandparents, boyfriends, girlfriends, mothers and daughters, best friends after a night out. It's the stuff we put on our clothing is very interactive and it it facilitates real life engagement and conversation, which I love. But it's also just very simple. It's Mm -hmm. very universal. Last year, when I went back to Toronto for a little bit, I realized that I was having this like weird cough, which was on account of the dust that had accumulated in my apartment. And I had asked for a good air purifier recommendation from you guys. And the number of you that got back to me saying that you loved Air Doctor was shocking. In fact, I still remember someone telling me that they had bought six Air Doctors to take back to Asia with them. I was shocked. So that in itself was a selling point for me. And so I'm really, really excited to be partnering with Air Doctor on the podcast. It's very full circle. So here are some stats which blew my mind. Number one, Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. And according to the EPA, indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And in some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. According to the 2020 census report, nearly half the population, almost 165 million people are living in areas with unhealthy levels of ozone or air pollution. We take 20,000 breaths a day, and that is almost 3,000 gallons of possibly polluted air. And airborne allergies are the most common allergy triggers such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. So Air Doctor here is the real solution because they have filtered out dangerous contaminants and allergens so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses an ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. Allergens can vary in size, but the average pollen size is about 25 microns and Air Doctor virtually removes 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns in size. Their classic Air Doctor 3000 purifier is powerful enough to circulate the air in a 630 plus square foot room four times per hour. Air Doctor features whisper jet fans that are 30% quieter than the fans found in ordinary air purifiers. So this really is top of the line. Air Doctor comes with a no questions asked 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, you can just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. So all you have to do is go to airdoctorpro.com and use code DREAMBIGGER. And depending on the model, you will receive up to 40% off. You're saving up to 40%, you guys. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com and use the code dream bigger. I've shared this before, but I am a huge fan of Korean skincare because I feel like they are just on top of it and they always have been. Skincare is a huge thing in Korea. And I've had friends who've visited who've said that there's like a whole street that they have with like beauty and skincare brands. And historically, like if we're looking at technologies and stuff, they've always been a few years ahead of the rest of the world. And so I'm really excited to be partnering with Mediheal, which is the number one best-selling sheet mask brand in Korea. So Mediheal upgraded their best-selling sheet masks to boost efficacy. So now they have even more exclusive active ingredients. And you guys know that as a founder and just a brand owner and admirer of brands in general, I am always looking at brands and I respect them more if they're constantly iterating and improving on their already incredible results. Mediheal delivers results that you can instantly see and feel. They have a collagen essential mask, which lifts and firms and has three times more collagen actives than Mediheal's first generation mask for an intensive firming effect. It leaves skin feeling youthful and bouncy. 
They also have a tea tree essential mask, which has three different tea tree actives for a combined 22 times more tea tree than Mediheal's first generation mask. Mediheal's mask is tough on blemishes, yet gentle on skin, and the result is clear and balanced skin. Lastly, Mediheal has added a bottle of extra serum to their award-winning NMF Ampule mask. This mask instantly relieves dry skin and boosts hydration with a complex of natural moisturizing factor ingredients for dewy, glowing skin, which you guys know we all love. So Mediheal has an offer for you. Visit Mediheal's official Amazon store to save 35% on select sheet mask 10 packs. You can enter code DREAMBIGGER at checkout to redeem the discount. Also, Mediheal is having a TikTok giveaway. Go to at Mediheal US on TikTok and enter to win their 30 mask giveaway valued at $70. Follow at Mediheal US on TikTok and like their giveaway post to enter to win. Three lucky winners will be selected. Good luck. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzler and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. Have you noticed people copying your like one-liners or like the style of what you create? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been going on for years. What do you do? There's sometimes like sometimes we'll go after it if if it's bad enough. I mean, at this point, it's it's just part of it. It's part of the game. And what's so interesting is now we get accused of copying all the time. Anytime we we put out a collection, it's anything we do, it's that we're copying someone. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting being on the other side where two or three years ago I was, you know. The copied and now you're yeah, apparently the copy. <laughs> right. And it's, it is it is kind of this like underdog thing, right, where we're not underdogs anymore and people want to take us down and people want to nitpick every single thing we do. Mm-hmm. It's been just a learning and growing experience. I think for me, the thing that I, th- I guess it's it's flattery, right? They always say that. But to me that was pretty crazy realizing like, you know, some of these big LA brands, these big streetwear brands that I follow, that I buy from, watching them kind of like ride our coattails or like take some of our ideas and they have the budget to do it way bigger and better. And that is, it's kind of like a tough pill to swallow. But for me, it was a kind of a cool moment just to be like, wait, we are like the mood board. We are the blueprint. Like, These people are looking for us for their next move. Mm -hmm. And as stressful as that can be sometimes, it's it's actually I always tell my team like this is a sign that like we're getting big. Like this is a sign of progress in a weird way. What do you do when you like, you know, the the script switched from you being the mood board to then people accusing you of like being the copier? Like, how do you deal with that? And like, does that impact you from like a mental health standpoint? Because I'm sure as a creative, it's like a tough thing to hear. Yeah, no, it's I've gotten um, so used to it. You have to like you won't survive. I don't get on TikTok. I don't read comments. I mean, there's certain things I do to protect myself from it. But at the end of the day, like I, I mean, personally, I would love to go and defend myself and show people the mood boards or show people that this brand that you're saying we copied, they actually copied us. Their actual entire brand is a ripoff of us, but we just happened to have the same font one time and now we copied them. Mm-hmm. I would love to show everyone the receipts and show everyone what actually happened. And it's, it's just not worth it. You can't. Like, you're never going to be able to, you know, people please your way into collective acceptance. And so that's been a really tough lesson. But for me, it's like everything blows over. And and as long as I know, like, I, I genuinely feel so happy and confident and good about the designs we put out and the way we come up with them. Mm. And I do feel like I'm very open with that process as well how I come up with ideas, um, where I get inspiration from. 
And so it's just learning to tune out the noise, honestly. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I've had to like fully come to terms with the fact that I can't be responding to every single comment. No, that's not true. No, this is wrong. It's also not worth it. Like, no, it's not. You know, my husband is my co-founder and we're very different in terms of our personalities. But a lot of the times people leave like really mean and frankly speaking, like untrue comments, yeah. right, on our product page or whatever. And his first instinct is like, let me go mm-hmm. and respond to this and fight them. And I, I, this was like a few days ago. I was like, Nish, like, what is the point? Like, what are you going to get out of this? Do you think that these people who are coming after us for like literally no reason? Because, of course, like if it's valid, constructive criticism, totally. you're very receptive. But then if someone is like spewing lies or just being mean, that means that there's nothing that you are going to say to them that's going to get them to, like, change their mind, you know? And, yeah. like, fighting is, like, the least possible yeah. response, you know, that'll get them there. So I'm just, like, it's not worth our time or our energy to respond to people like this because oh, it's yeah. not going to change anything. One thousand percent. And, no, you're so right. It's this type of people that are leaving those comments and making that content. These aren't people that are open to no. hearing you out and mm-hmm. giving you the benefit of the doubt and realizing how something came to be. No, th- these are people that don't like you and want to see you fail. And so for me, it's like, why would I me- why would I talk to you guys? Mm-hmm. Why would I like defend myself to you guys when you guys like I'd rather defend myself to my strong supporters, people that have been with us. But guess what? Those aren't the people who are accusing us of copying <laughs> Well, also, it's typically like the meanest people are also the loudest somehow. Exactly, And it's like, I think as just someone who is on the Internet or a brand founder, like, of course, like you see those comments the most. But it's like everyone else who isn't necessarily saying anything, they could just be like happy and minding oh, their yeah. own business, you know. Oh, yeah. So for like every like what I like to remind myself is like for every one Karen that's out there, there is like like a thousand really good people who love your brand and love Mm -hmm. what you're doing, you know, and it just brings you some peace of mind to realize that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been going to colleges lately Mm -hmm. and doing exclusive hoodies for the sororities and the college around there. And a few weeks ago, we went to Boise and there was 500 people in line before it even started. Stop. And it actually, like, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that. It's so hard for me to understand the scale of the support we have. And that's exactly what I thought when I was in line meeting people is it was actually emotional for me because I have struggled this year with this sort of takedown that people want because it's this underdog thing, right? We're not underdogs anymore. And so now people want to take us down. And I've been struggling with that and feeling like everyone hates us. Everyone hates me just really internalizing those loud people like we talked about. And so to see 500 people show up in real life, that flipped the script for me where I was like, okay, wow, these people are real. (laughs) Like I'm seeing them in front of my face. And why should I even care if there's 30 people on TikTok talking about how stupid my brand is when there's actually real people who support me? And they're the ones that matter. And they're the ones that matter. And it just... Yeah, it totally puts things into perspective. And I would say that to any any creator, anyone dealing with negativity online, like there's there's duality. And I, I have to remind myself that as well. Like mm-hmm. with so much good, there's just naturally going to be negativity. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to remember all the good when the negativity is so loud. Yeah. But that's just not worth you know, ruminating on when there's 500 people lining down the street to see me. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking dope. Yeah, it was sick. I read your blog post about your diabetes diagnoses, and I think it was probably one of the best pieces of written work that I've read in a very long time. It was actually my team member, Alexa, who has type 1 diabetes, who passed that blog post on to me when I told her that I was interviewing you. And I had like chills and I couldn't (laughs) like it was so well written. And I mean... I'm sure so vulnerable of you to write that. So for anyone who doesn't know, can you tell us the story of like what exactly happened? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with type one in 2020. So how three, three, four years? I don't even know. Three years. (laughs) And I was pregnant. So that 
made things complicated because it was brought on like the the diabetes was triggered by my pregnancy. So that's the crazy thing about diabetes. It's like I, I technically had it my whole life. Was it just like a latent thing that was in your system? Yeah. And so sometimes with like that stuff, something traumatic or some some sort of something medically can trigger trigger the diabetes. And that's essentially what happened when I got pregnant. So for months I was really sick. But a lot of the symptoms are very similar to pregnancy symptoms, like you pee a lot and you're really thirsty and you're really tired. And I was going in all the time with these concerns and they were just kind of writing me off as a first time dramatic mom. And I was trusting them because I was a first time mom. I had no idea what was going on. So, yeah, for months I begged them and I actually started doing my own research and kind of had a kind of figured out that I might have gestational diabetes just because it it lined up with a lot of the things I was feeling. And wait, sorry, pause right there because the fact that you did your research, like oh, yeah. WebMD did this shit and oh, you were yeah. like, I may have gestational diabetes and the doctors were like, you're fine, sweetie. Oh no, it's even worse than that. They said you're too skinny, which actually has nothing to do with type 1 at all. They literally said you're too thin, like that's not even possible. And I'm like, okay. Well, like, literally, they said, oh, that's, that's actually— That's like a type 2 situation. Yeah. So what's so crazy is I said, I think I have gestational diabetes. They said, why do you think that? I listed off my symptoms, and she said, those aren't gestational diabetes symptoms. Those are type 1 symptoms. So I said, oh, could I have type 1? No, you're way too thin. And she kind of laughed it off. So completely throw that out of my mind. Barely survived the next two months of my pregnancy. And at 28 weeks, I— tested. I took the drink. My blood sugar came back like high 500s. So really bad. (laughs) And went into the hospital. And, you know, one of the doctors like took one look at me and she was like, you have type one. And she wheeled me herself to the hospital. And next thing I knew, I was getting life lighted on a helicopter to have my baby. It was the craziest day of my life. And when I got to the hospital, they came in the room and they told me like this like they it was the bearer of bad news just your baby might not make it basically and it was so traumatic I and I was so delirious that I barely even remember any of this you're sick so sick like like you're being given all this news after being told for months of like trying to get to the bottom of it that everything's fine and you're overreacting like Mm -hmm delirious is like an understatement of the century. (laughs) Yeah. And I ended up being fine. Like I said, I I don't know the sequence of events that led up to the birth being stopped. But their whole thing was like, your baby's lungs are not developed enough. So what's so crazy about pregnancy and babies is how fast these babies develop and in weeks, right? So they were able to stop my labor at 28 weeks. Two weeks later, I went into labor again. And actually like for real, for, for real. real, for real and delivered him and he was healthy and he was completely fine. And I remember when they said, like, OK, it's baby time. You're going to have the baby today. There was this sense of like, it's OK. And I was like, is he going to be OK? And they were like, yeah, like those two weeks in your womb, like really like he's going to be OK. So wild. Holy shit. Wild. But he was born. He was in the NICU for Two months. The day he was born was the first reported case of COVID in the U.S. Like crazy. Oh, oh my God. And honestly, looking back, like blessing in disguise because my husband got to be in the room with me. We could have 10 people up there. And then, you know, two months later, there was you weren't even allowed to you weren't even allowed to be in there with your partner. Yeah, I and I, I can't like, even imagine. I mean, I remember seeing people having babies like friends of mine actually one of them she's from Paris and she wrote a story on like one of the big magazines about like her birthing experience she was the first case of like woman giving birth who also had COVID and it was crazy it was like I mean that story I'll send it to you afterwards because she's also a really good writer but it was like my jaw was actually on the ground like her husband was not allowed in the room with her like she was scared she didn't know what was happening it was just like no one knew what was happening so like when I read or like see stories of like when people had babies during COVID it's like doing it alone like are you fucking kidding me yeah no I I weirdly like timing was 
divine as always, but it, it ended up working out. We had a brand new baby during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like we were never bored. <laughs> we were in heaven. So yeah, and and basically I've been, you know, dealing with my diabetes since then. It's so hard. I had a breakdown this morning about it. I was just like, how is anyone supposed to do this? Like it's it's I don't think people understand it's like an hour by hour, minute by minute. Well, also, I think it's different when you have it at a younger age and like you're kind of like you grow up with it versus like this random diagnosis in like your 20s. And you're like, well, fuck, I've lived life one way my whole life. Like now. Oh, my God. I'm honestly I think that all the time. Like I have this friend, this cute friend with she has two boys with diabetes and which is very, very rare. Mm -hmm. And I my heart breaks for them. I cannot imagine that as a parent. However, I do find myself getting like weirdly jealous <laughs> that they have these amazing supportive parents. And not that my parents aren't supportive, but you know, I I'm an adult. Like yeah. I live alone. I have my own kids. I don't have my mom and dad checking my blood sugar in the middle of the night and doing this. I really have been for the most part having to figure it out on my own and mm-hmm. I I do find like the kids that grew up with diabetes, they like they have it down. Mm-hmm. And then me, I feel like I'm losing it. So I see my team member, Alexa. She listens to the podcast, she knows, but she has type one diabetes and I see her handle it with such grace. And it's funny because my husband was like one day, like we're, we're like very candid with our team. And he's like, Alexa, does type one diabetes really impact your life? And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> She like listed off like a laundry list of like things that, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's like a real thing, you know. Yeah. But I think over time you like learn to deal with it and modify oh, your yeah. life accordingly. Yeah. When you initially got your diagnosis, like. Was it was it hard to deal with other people like the the modifications you were making and stuff? Was it like, I don't know, like a, a journey to go through? Yeah. So, I mean, I have an amazing husband like who became my nurse. Right. He was just so on top of my sugars and my dosage and just everything. And so I'm lucky in that sense. I think. For me, it was it was the people online. Mm-hmm. Like there was just so much criticism and wait, criticism about what though? Just everything, right? So the main thing was that I got, I lost a ton of weight right after. Actually, it was probably like a year after my son was born, and that's very normal for diabetes for a number of reasons. And it was just stressful because so. What's so interesting about diabetes is you you have this thing called a honeymoon period, which could be for like a year or two. Sometimes they last long. Mine lasted like a, a year or two of being in a honeymoon period where essentially your pancreas still works. Like it still functions a little normally. So it's almost like you don't have diabetes. And so my blood sugars were really like pretty, pretty normal for like a year after I had had my baby. And I guess my point in saying this is that my weight loss didn't have to do with me and not giving myself insulin or whatever these people think I was doing wrong. And that was just crazy to me because I have all these people criticizing me about my diabetes. And so I'm like, okay, like I need to show people that I am taking care of myself, which just felt absolutely insane. The fact that people can even like... Who are you yeah. people? Like what are you like no, what? It, and and I actually did that for a while, you know. I was I was more open like okay, this is like how I do insulin and this is this and this and this. And then I'd get sent screenshots of these pages that people there's you know there's literally pages dedicated to speculating on my health and my weight. And people would send it to me and it would just be like she's she's such a liar. She doesn't actually do this. She doesn't actually eat that. She doesn't do this. And then I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to keep this journey to myself now because there's no like you guys don't deserve this. Like I don't I don't owe anyone anything. I don't need to prove to you that I'm taking care of myself or or even struggling with it. Like am I not allowed to struggle? Am I not allowed to figure this out? And I think that was the hardest thing for me was the it's just hard enough as it is. Like yeah, no shit. And I what's so wild is I've never in in the three years I've had it, I've never had anyone 
that has had diabetes or had someone that they know with diabetes ever say shit to me because well, why? They're, they're not crazy. Yeah. And, you know, the people that, you know, I'll get messages all the time like my brother was just diagnosed or my dad was just diagnosed and I never realized how hard it was until I had to see them go through it and lose weight and not know why and not be able to gain it. And like, I'm so sorry you go through that. So it's it's just crazy to me. Like if you know what diabetics go through every day and you know the factors that go into their mood and their energy levels and their appetite and all of these things, it's like you would you wouldn't dare criticize. Did you relearn how to like eat according to your diagnosis? Because I mean, again, like when you get something like this in your 20s, it's like however you've done things, I'm sure has to change. So like, did you have to make a ton of changes in that way? Yeah. And honestly, that was definitely the hardest part because I have never been someone that watched what I ate. Mm -hmm. I was never a calorie counter. I never did diets. I was just a foodie. I loved food and I would eat food and I wouldn't feel guilty about it. And I think that's what changed is like, and, and back to what you were saying about the people around me and making adjustments, that was actually hard because it's like I, I'll order stuff and then I can see people be like, oh, should she be getting that? Or like, should you be eating all of that? And it's just like having to justify yes, it. And, and I just like, realized that I'm like always kind of being watched in that way. Yeah. And I hate that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I hate that. And, and that's another thing is kind of a misconception is that diabetics can't have sugar. They can't have this. It's like you can. You just take more insulin for it. And so I have a diabetic coach who's been super helpful with that because in the beginning, my my whole my whole vibe was like, okay, I got to cut out all these foods. And her thing was like, let's just start adding in more. So I feel like I'm learning to eat, but I'm actually just learning the real way to eat, mm-hmm. the how to have a balanced meal, how to like what proteins I should have, like what foods I can add to my waffles in the morning to make it a balanced meal. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that totally changed my outlook and mindset on eating because I don't restrict. I don't really take away. I usually just add mm-hmm. more. I'll add more things to make it more balanced. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot, but it feels like I'm actually just learning the real, like the right way Yeah, that everyone should be learning. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's so, like that post that you wrote, I thought that it was just so well done. And I thought that it really gave people picture of what it's like to have this sort of diagnosis and also how tough it is when you know you're going through something and you feel like you're just not being heard and Mm -hmm. like I've been there and so I appreciate you having put yourself out there and like sharing that because I'm sure it helped a lot of people. Thank you. Okay so we have some time for a very hot topic from the audience because I obviously opened it up to them. Everyone wants to know about your wedding. I feel like it broke the fucking internet. What the heck? Like, it was like the most beautiful. Like, did you have a vision for it? Like, I have so many wedding questions for you from the audience, but like, I'll I'll start here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I have a vision for it? Yes. Yes and no. I I am someone who's like dreamed of my wedding since I was a 15-year-old. And I'm also someone that, how do I say this? Like... Like, the bar is high for me, right? And I knew early on, like, I decided in high school that I was going to pay for my own wedding because I didn't want to have any aspect of my wedding dictated by someone else because they were paying for it. Mm -hmm. Not even my husband. And I was like, I'm going to, like, this is like, if I'm going to get married, it will be my dream wedding. And that was like my, those were my guidelines was like, I'm not. And, and, you know, I, Jack and I talked about getting married years before, but I was just like, no, like if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And so I, I did it right. And like best decision of my life. Your dress was actually (laughs) insane. Yeah, that's like the coolest dress I've ever seen. I I still look at pictures and I cannot believe that that's me in the photos because the dress is so it's perfect. Where was it even from? It's like this feathery, gorgeous thing. I saw it on Pinterest and I 
I sent it to my assistant and I said, find this dress right now. And she, you know, of 10 minutes later, she said, I found it. And it's so funny because it was like, they didn't even have a website. She had to like WhatsApp these people. And I was like, this is a scam. Like I was, I was scared. Ended up working. Kaeli is the brand and went to London for a fitting. It was just like, I genuinely felt like I was in a movie. It was amazing. It was beautiful, but it was the whole, like, every single detail was also, like, very you. Yeah. It was, like, very cool girl vibes. (laughs) I mean, I filmed weddings growing up. So when I was 18, that was my first job. Yeah. So I filmed weddings, and Utah weddings are very different, and they're all the same. There's a template. There's They're just all the same, and I thought, and that's kind of my husband's personality, too. He's... He's very contrarian. Like, he likes to be different. He likes to do things differently, and and I'm the same way. And so I wanted it just to be, like, fun. That was my whole thing was I wanted it to be, like, a trip. So I had, you know, 10 of my best friends come and stay at this nice house, and we stayed for three days, and they all talk about it like it was just the most fun. And I just feel like people—weddings are so stressful for everyone, right? I didn't want that. I just wanted it to be like a memory, mm-hmm. right? An experience and a memory that wasn't necessarily just about Jack and I, but it was like about all the people that supported us and rooted for us and got us to that point. I love that. It actually like I was looking at the pictures today and because there's just a number of like people who were asking about it. And I remember when you guys had the wedding, it was just like it flooded my stories where Mm -hmm. like people were just sharing your dress and like the wedding and you look so happy. Like, (laughs) and you know what? That's how it should be because sometimes I go to weddings and I'm like, girl, are you having fun? This is your damn day. Well, that's, I'm telling you, I I cannot, I can't count how many brides I worked with when I filmed weddings that would slam the door shut at the end of the night like, give me five minutes, please. Like, I just need five minutes. And they're just trying to decompress before they, like, do their exit or go cut the cake. And they're, I've sat with brides who just cry and say, I didn't get to eat any of my food. Or I just was spending talking, spending the night talking to my parents' neighbors or so-and-so's friend from elementary school. And I wanted to be so selfish in that sense. As you should be. By just being like, I... I'm going to enjoy my day. And I did. It was it was perfect. Like I have no regrets. I love that. It looked so fun. This has been such a fun episode. Honestly, I so appreciate your vulnerability. You've probably been one of my favorite guests on. Thank you. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. So I'm Indie Blue underscore on Instagram, not on TikTok until the haters come down. <laughs> and Lonely Ghosts. We're just Lonely Ghosts on Instagram, lonelyghosts.co. And yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.